This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. When we are emotionally balanced, our lives have more of a flow and become less of a struggle. As we reduce unhealthy negative emotions and increase the presence of healthy emotions, mindfulness and awareness become more accessible. When our minds are at ease, our problem-solving skills improve and we are better equipped moving towards our goals and aspirations, resulting in happier and more meaningful lives the seeming impossible becomes possible. There is a shift within our energetic selves, which shift in itself may promote feelings of joy and fulfillment within and in our lives. Valeria Tellez interviews Annette Erickson. She is a clinical therapist in private practice based in New York City, where she provides therapy and coaching to her clients. Annette has a particular interest in helping her clients achieve emotional balance and uses Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, REBT, a form of CBT in her practice. REBT is a solution-focused approach and has its roots in ancient Greek, Roman, and Eastern philosophy with a particular influence of Stoicism. The philosophical component is brought into the cognitive challenging of clients' irrational, unrealistic and unhelpful thoughts and beliefs, which beliefs tend to create neuroses and dysfunction. The premise of REBT is that our thoughts and beliefs have a lot to do with how we feel and behave. This theory was argued by the Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus, who notably said, people are not disturbed by things, but the view they take on them. Annette has a master's degree in clinical social work from Fordham University and postgraduate training in REBT from the Albert Ellis Institute. In addition to her therapeutic education, Annette has an extensive background and training in philosophy and mindfulness. Meet Annette at AnnetteErickssonTherapy.com. Here's the interview with Annette Erickson. In your own words, who is Annette Erickson? Annette Erickson is a uh, human being. I'm a spiritual being. I am a gentle person, yet I'm also very strong and resilient. I am a person who loves the wisdom of philosophy and mindfulness. And I am a therapist by profession in New York State. Yeah, how did you discover that, that you were a spiritual person? You know, I think I discovered that early on, but I wasn't sure what that was. 
even early on, I remember even at the age of 12, I just had this feeling inside of me. I wasn't sure what it was. And later on, as I discovered uh, yoga and meditation and philosophy, and, and it, 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 then I had a name for it. What is healing to you? It's an open question. And also, what are the obstacles to healing? Well, healing takes many forms, in my view, in different stages and, and for different people. For me personally, yoga and meditation had a, a, a big impact on my healing. And later on, as I, I mean, I've been in therapy myself and healed through therapy myself and through my schooling, right, to become a therapist and, and, and being in school. And that was a lot of healing in that, the reading and learning and, and working with clients. I find that very healing for me, working with clients. And there are different forms of healings. What are the obstacles to healing? Why do some of us, I don't know, sometimes I think that they don't heal, but that's like such a off-putting kind of assumption. I believe life doesn't make mistakes. Right, right, right. right. Even what we think it's imperfect, it's perfect, right? Right, right. Mm. I, I agree with that. And and depends on how you define healing. For me, right, for me, healing is uh, emotional healing, right? I identify that uh, a lot of my healing has been emotional healing, and, and for me personally, right, and from my experience with clients and, and so forth, right, there, there, there needs to come, you, one needs to come to a place when you're open to receive that and, and sort of seek out and be willing, uh, sort of have the openness to receive it. But I think some people find healing in the arts, right, painting or writing, right. So I don't think there is one way. Right. Some people find it in walking in nature and right. 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 I just went to um, to do a Reiki session. I have somebody uh, next to me and she uh-huh. said, you've been giving too much because I have been having some pain on my left arm and left neck area. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. The right area has okay. been painful. And then she said that that symbolizes that I'm giving too much and not open to receive Mm. or even too tired to receive. Right. That caught my attention. So I became more curious about receiving. And then you just mentioned now being open to receive. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is a great message for me. (laughs) Yeah. What is about receiving? How do we learn to open up and receive? an interesting question right and I, you know I, again I do believe it's maybe different for each person right in my experience speaking from myself and and a lot of people who I work with right uh, a lot of times it comes when we were sick and tired of being sick and tired right or sick and tired of feeling the pain and the difficulty and sort of giving up a little bit Right, giving up that so, so we, we fight it for so long, we try to figure it out and we try, right? and finally we got, get to a point where we can't do it ourselves and, and we're willing to receive, we ask for help, right? And the help may come from various directions. I've had people uh, almost like guardian angels in my, in my life, right, who have been uh, helping me along the way, who, who have been open for them to help me and they've been right there at the right time. 
So in a way, it's life just doing its job, isn't it? It's very supportive itself and it's trying to reach that point of us as individuals in the sense of identified with that individual part of life to just kind of open up and become life again and just go back to the stream of life. I love this idea and it really resonates true to me. And I love how you connect that with healing. So that is very much connected to healing, being open, receiving, getting too tired. How fascinating. I keep saying that because yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's different for everybody, right? For some people, it may be that they don't, they don't reach that bottom, bottom, but for them, it's enough for, to seek help. So we all have our limits, I believe, right? Yeah. Right? It doesn't have to be that we're sort of on our knees, right? 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 But being willing can happen at any stage, right? Uh, that's true. I wonder why some of us, for some of us, it takes being too tired, right. reaching that point, right? Yeah. So do you think that that has to do with some underlying um, healing work that has not been done? Speaking of myself and, and some people, right, that, uh, that I've worked with or familiar with, right, it's, uh, you know, I don't know that I can explain it other than that, I mean, a lot of people come from very difficult backgrounds with uh, whether it's trauma or, or right, and, and didn't learn perhaps some coping skills or, right, ways to live uh, a healthy and fulfilling life. They don't have the tools and they're used to just fighting, 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 right, for survival almost. And that's how they go about life when they leave that family or whatever that may have been, right, until uh, you realize you, that it's not working, right? You can't do it and you're almost giving up that and it's almost, it can become almost like it's either find something different or continue almost like living this almost like a, a death, uh, living, living, right? Not not really living. So you, you have to make a choice that uh, you need to try something different. This is not working. Yeah, it has been certainly my case. Definitely. I see that pattern, this movement that has been always trying to survive emotionally and physically too, of course, it's connected in a way. It has been for me. And then kind of finding the way to little by little to break from uh, those chains, I would call it. And right. then kind of little by little moving. But it has been always like a very small kind of um, progression. It never reached to the point of where I can say I'm free, completely free from everything. And mm -hmm. I wonder if we, mm -hmm. if it gets to a point where we are there, is there freedom when it comes to emotional healing? Uh, I, I do personally believe that we can have uh, freedom, but it's also, right, it's also uh, very probable that we sort of uh, regress or, right, we fumble and we fall, right? And then we we uh, strive to find that freedom again. So, right? So so I, I believe uh, that is uh, true for a lot of people, that it's not that it's constant and now we're cured for life. I think it's sort of a continuing process of uh, working uh, towards that. Somebody said to me, I think last year, there's no cure for life. Right, right. And it seems like we are looking for that, right? Right. It's unrealistic, right? We 
where, 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 I mean, unfortunate events are bound to happen to all of us, right? It's life, right? But it's, it's how we're um, dealing with that, right? How we're responding to that both emotionally, behaviorally, and with that, how, how we're thinking about that, right? That we can uh, sort of ride the waves or, and, and the waves are uh, less extreme or they're going to be uh, very high and low, sort of that emotional Im- imbalance. But I, I, I do believe that we all will, right? I mean, a lot of people will stumble and fall sometimes. It's not perfect. Life is not perfect. We're not perfect. We're human beings and we're, we're bound to make mistakes or fall short, right? And then it's just as important to not beat ourselves up over that, right? Because then we create more emotional balance to sort of recognize that we're human beings, right? And we all... We all sort of stumble and fall sometimes. It's part of life. But but what can we do about that now? It happened, right? How do we move forward or find our balance again? So you're a therapist, clinical therapist and coach, and you work with the um, modality called REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. So talk to me about that, Annette. How yeah. does it work and how did you find out about it? I am so lucky, I consider myself very lucky to have found this modality because it's so fitting with who I am and, and uh, what, I, what I've been doing or, or striving to do all along, right? And I love philosophy. So it's based on philosophy. It was developed by uh, Dr. Albert Ellis in New York in the 1950s, and uh, he based it with the idea that philosophy could be used as therapy, right? And a lot of it is based on Stoic philosophy, right? That it's not what happens, the things that happens to us, but it's how we perceive it, right? And and how we're thinking about it and, and how we think about it will determine our emotional reaction, whether we have a healthy emotional reaction or an unhealthy emotional reaction. And with that, uh, if we have adoptive behaviors or maladoptive problematic behaviors, right? So what we do in this approach, right, we uh, we set with clients, it's, it's very simple yet very, I wouldn't say complicated, but there's a lot to it, right? It's a lot to it. So the simplest way to describe it, I would say, would be uh, sort of there's an A, B, C format, meaning that A is the activating event whether it's a breakup or right, you lose your job or right, whatever that may be. And uh, when people have healthy negative emotions, such as feeling sad or disappointed or concerned, they're not going to, they usually don't reach out for help because then they're able to sort of deal with whatever problem they have on their own. So, so it's not that we're not, we're not striving for you know, perfection or where we don't have any negative emotion. It's those unhealthy negative emotions that create problems in our lives, such as depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, and so forth, unhealthy anger. And and when an activating event such as losing a job or a breakup, when that triggers an unhealthy negative emotion, such as depression or anxiety or shame or guilt, that's when we run into problems. And with that, 
usually that comes with problematic behavior such as isolation, right, or avoidance or lashing out or whatever it is that we do, right? And 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 we don't function well. So what we do in therapy, we identify the event itself and we talk a little bit about that, but then we've quickly moved to the, the unhealthy emotion that the person experiences and the problematic behaviors they engage in. And then we'll set either an emotional or behavioral goal with the client, right? What how would they like to, what would be a healthier feeling to have or uh, more uh, adoptive behavior to have when the same situation happened, right? right? So you can't control the situation. And, and after we do that, we look and see, we help the clients to identify what they're thinking, what they're believing when they're feeling that unhealthy negative emotion. Because in this in this type of therapy, the, the, the idea is, the theory is that what we think, how we believe, has a lot to do with how we feel, right? How we feel and how we behave. So we identify those unhealthy or irrational, irrational beliefs tied to the unhealthy negative emotion or behavior, right? And, and, we, we, uh, and when it's an irrational belief, it's usually a demanding, right? We demand that something should be different or, or right, needs to, right, uh, have happened differently or we have an extreme evaluation about that. So then we start to challenge that and that's when the uh, philosophical aspect also comes into play. And we start to challenge those irrational beliefs and help the clients develop a more balanced perspective think differently and believe differently and that takes a lot of time a lot of rehearsal to do so it goes back to the practice right that caught my attention though reading about this modality the aspects that caught my attention you you have outlined them the article you sent me so is demandingness so that's one that you just mentioned this is like um irrational belief and then you have global rating. That's another one. So I would love to hear more about the global rating and then frustration intolerance. And then the last one is even hard to pronounce. Awfulizing. Awfulizing. Yeah, it's not really right. a word. I think uh, all the Ellis made it up. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like it. <laughs> it's sort of like catastrophizing. So demandingness, it's, it's when we're saying it has to be that way right whether it's about something that has already happened right they shouldn't have x y and c right or i should have or about the future i must be successful or do this well it has to happen right so so but but there's no guarantee that uh, it will happen the way we're demanding it to happen. And, and when we're speaking about the past, there's no way of changing the past. So it's irrational in the way that it's not in line with reality. We can't guarantee a specific outcome. So demanding it is unrealistic and we can't change the past. So demanding that it should be different than what it is, is unrealistic. So, so what we do a lot of times, we translate 
what we would like, our desires, our preferences, and we translate that to demands, and that's when we become emotionally unhealthy. Mm, yeah, it makes sense, a lot of sense. So that's the demandingness. The global rating is when we, we can, uh, global rating either of ourselves, right? I find that most common people sort of give themselves a global rating or another person or the world, right? That, for example, if somebody makes a mistake, let's suppose at work and they feel shame and right, it may sound something like, I'm not good enough. There is something wrong with me. Right? So they're, they're sort of rating their whole person based on one experience. And that's illogical because you're not, that was something you did. It was a behavior. It was something that you did. It's not who you are. So we behave in certain ways, right? And it's, we have the ability to change, behave one way, one day, we behave a different way. And so it's not who we are. It's something that we do. And rating our whole being, that's when and we believe it. We believe there's something wrong with us. We're, we're not good enough. And then you're bound to feel shame or depressed. Or And, and, and then frustration intolerance, that's when... We believe, we tell ourselves, right, that I can't tolerate, that I can't bear it. And when we believe that, we're not going to be able to bear it. We're not going to be able to tolerate it because that's what we believe, right? And then we're not going to engage in whatever it is, whether it is uh, perhaps, let's suppose, a a test coming up. I can't bear failing, so I'm not going to try, right? Or I can't stand, right, whatever that is, making a mistake. So when we speak that way, then we set ourselves up for uh, anxiety or avoidance or right whatever that may be right and a lot of times that's not true we can't tolerate it it's just that it's difficult to tolerate so it's not that we're not going to perish just because we engage in activity that that is difficult or we're failing or whatever that may be it's difficult to tolerate but then we have to ask is it worthwhile tolerating it for the possibility of doing what it is that we want to do. Is it worthwhile tolerating? So we, we make a choice there, right? Is it worthwhile tolerating it? And then if we say yes, right, speak to ourselves different, that I, it's difficult to tolerate, but I can tolerate it. So that's the frustration intolerance and, and the awfulizing. It's uh, when we uh, dramatize situations. And we're not talking here about, because sometimes there are true awful situation such as somebody passes a loved one or a medical condition something truly offers so it's important to check in with a with a client right if they believe it's a real if it's a true awful situation we don't want to challenge that right that would be invalidating but a lot of times uh, we tend to awfulize things that are not truly awful, such as, right, is a lot of times awfulizing is, is tied to anxiety. If I don't do a good job, it would be awful. Or if the, the person doesn't want to go out with me, it would be awful, right? And, and, and when we believe that it's the, wor- you know, it's the worst thing that could ever happen, we're going to get anxious. So when we put it into perspective, right, that maybe it would be bad, if I didn't get this job, if I do an interview, right? But it wouldn't be awful, right? So sometimes it can be helpful to help clients see the difference by sort of ask them, tell me, tell me like three things that would be 
truly awful if it happened, right? Something that's truly awful, right? And they may say, well, if my apartment or my house uh, caught fire, burned down, that would be awful, right? Or they would say then, uh, a loved one or myself, a serious medical condition. That is truly awful. So if we put that into one category and then whatever they're talking about, let's say not getting that job, would that fall into that same category? And they would say no. So wouldn't they see that it's not a truly awful situation, but when they believe that and when they tell themselves that, they're, they're, they're going to get anxious. So when they change, right, change their thoughts and their belief that it, it would be bad but not awful, right? anxiety tends to decrease. When it comes to balance, it's always, we see this extreme way of thinking or ideas about life. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Right. And then sometimes right. the opposite in the sense of positivity, you know, delusion, I would say, believe in everything. It's great. It's amazing. And then we become too naive. It was my case for a while. And then we become very much uh, distressed when something happens because we're not even thinking about it. Right. I love philosophy right. for the same reason you do, it seems to me, because it brings us to this space of rationality. One of the most beautiful spiritual practices I know of, it's being in the moment, being present right. to what is right. present. That brings a lot of clarity and rationality because now we are present to whatever is here. So there's yes. no room to imagine or go anywhere, future or past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this method. I have not actually heard explained the way you do in depth this way. So it's, it's really amazing to me. I love this idea and the practice of, you call it REBT. Yes, REBT. Mm -hmm. There's another aspect of it that I heard, uh, you sent it to me, I was reading about, is the humor, sense of humor. Right. Yeah. How do you include that? How is that included? It is in making fun of the rational beliefs. We don't make fun of the client's situations. We make fun of their irrational beliefs, sort of like, right? It has to happen. Then it would be awful, right? <laughs> the, 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 right? So the, <laughs> yes. the irration, whatever they're thinking, right, or the the irrationality of their thinking, that's what we make fun of. And and clients themselves, when when I, for an example, right, I mirror back to them. I a lot of a lot of it sometimes is role play. So I pretend sometimes I am them, right, mm, yeah. and then I speak the way, right, and I exaggerate, and then they start uh, laughing, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's funny. Right. It is funny. Right. True. You see the absurdity of it then when they uh, it from me. It's almost like this reflection, right, Annette? The yeah, mirror. absolutely. It is funny when we get to see ourselves. Actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> There's something else that caught my attention in your bio. You say helping others became more of a calling than a choice, oh, yeah. which continues to be yeah. true to this day. Yeah. So, what is the difference between a calling and a choice? Interesting question. I think it was both for me, but it was the calling I listened to, right? I listened to, listened to that. I wasn't, you know, and 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 I, as I was writing that, I was just writing. Sometimes when I write, I just write whatever comes comes to, to me, right? I, I don't, you know, I, I just write from my heart sometimes. And 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 so 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 I'm a rational being, but I'm also somebody <laughs> who listens to my heart. <laughs> right? yes. I have both, yeah. right? So, but for me, it it was that that the calling for me is more that uh, step by step. It's almost that I guided or or came to this. And when I first went back to school, I didn't think I want to become a therapist. I had people 
telling me long time ago that they thought that, you know, friends thought that would be uh, good as a therapist, but I just couldn't see myself doing it. Right? I needed to heal first, right? I needed to heal before I could take on other people's difficulties. And when I went back to school, I still had a long way to go. <laughs> So, so I thought I would be working more behind the scenes, doing administrative and still helping people. But that route, right? So then little by little, as I healed and I got better, it sort of uh, came naturally. Everything just sort of happened, right? And every sort of this just happened, right? And, and I got an opportunity to work as a therapist part-time. It just sort of landed in my lap and I took it and, and loved it and, and, right, right. But when I first went back to school, it was, it was really a career change. And that, at that time, uh, you know, I, I felt inside that that's what I'm supposed to do, help people in the way I can help them. I wasn't sure I would be able to do it one-on-one, but work in some sort of uh, organization where the purpose would be to help others. I love how open you are, because that really says a lot. We talked earlier about being open to receive, to be guided by life. And I believe that. I believe a lot more in the calling than choice, because... I don't think there's anyone here really doing anything like, um, let's say, the center, you know, the individual, the self. So everything to me is life itself as a whole, yeah. kind of walking mm-hmm. through the parts and mm-hmm. to do what it does. Yeah. I know you have been influenced or you participate in some of the philosophies and teachings of Shangyan Trupan Rinpoche. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I have been in touch with his teachings too. I uh, went to the Shambhala in France too. Oh, okay. What an experience. Oh. I don't even want to talk about it, but yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. that was incredible. <laughs> I mean, really yeah. eye-opening. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. everything opening in that yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me for a moment about your spiritual ideas these days. Uh-huh. You- these days, my spiritual, I mean, it has... Well, it all has come together. My spiritual ideas at this, at this, I mean, I still, you know, I, I, I meditate every day. Uh, uh, my spiritual, you mentioned right, with the Naropa Institute, right? You pronounce the name better than I can ever do. Kogam Trumpa, that's what I said. Yeah, How do you yeah, pronounce not it? Sure, not sure, not sure. <laughs> Just came <Yeah>. out that <laughs> way. <laughs> so he founded the Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado. And part of my education I did there, right? And and when I went back for my undergraduate, and and uh, that was very a life changing experience for me because I got uh, deeper into the meditation. So it was very healing. And since that time, right, meditation has been a very important part of my life. And and uh, so so that's my. Still today, right, my, my spiritual practice is meditation, right? But also the philosophy, right? The philosophy that I, I read philosophy, I love reading philosophy. And it's also some of it is very spiritual. And it all really is the same message, really, about finding that goodness inside, right? Being gentle, right? Being compassionate with others, being kind, being of service, being in the... Uh, being present. Uh, it's the same message, whatever you look, whatever, all of that, the different philosophies and 
and and with meditation and mindfulness. Yes, yeah, so true, Annette. When you say the same, it might be because they come from these authentic experiences of individuals that they have kind of merged themselves into practices that would lead them into these insights, kind of profound it's insights. It's like a natural, right? right? I remember when I when I was in, in Boulder, Colorado at the Europa Institute and did a lot of meditation, right? It, it was almost like a transformation, right? A transformation that just happened organically, right? As far as, you know, I after that... I, I started to reach out to people and 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 make right where I had done done wrong. It was just sort of like a natural, uh, not because I was asked to. It was just a, a change within me, and and sort of the, like the Shambhala is built on a lot of that. That that believing that everybody right have that goodness inside, and we can reach an enlightened society. That's what. Right, that they by finding that goodness inside each each one of us. So actually about your work, how do new clients meet you if they want to talk to you, to hire you? What's the best way to do the that? The best way would be to go to my website. So that's uh, uh, Annette Erickson therapy.com. That's great to know. I wanted to ask you the question here before. I have so many questions. Oh, the open questions. I had way too many that I didn't ask. So love, what is your understanding and idea of love? What is love to you? Ah, what is love to me? Love, can they give different forms too, but finding uh, love, self-love, right? Finding love inside of oneself and finding love in the connection with other people, right? Being kind and 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 being compassionate and and uh, uh, being forgiving, right? Forgiveness—that's love, right? And and really, love to me is also the absence of those unhealthy negative emotions such as anger and right, right? Because then you you detach from love when you're depressed, you're anxious, you're angry, and so forth. You you sort of you can't feel the love, so you detach from love. So love is also detachment from from that and and being able to experience love inside and also give and receive out right with others. Ah, yes, a billion times to all of it. <laughs> so true. And what do you think? Oh, actually, what do you feel is the purpose of the human experience? Oh, wow. The purpose of the human experience. Maybe, you know, speaking for myself and the way I look at it, right? The purpose is to grow, to learn. I do believe and I don't know if it's true for everyone, but for me, I do believe in the spiritual aspect of living, right? And and with that, right, love and striving to do better and, and become a better person, both to ourselves and others. How do you define true power or what is power to you? Oh, power. For me, my, my experience through power... Well, there are different ways, but true power comes from inside. That p- source of power within, almost, un- you can't really define it. Right? But for me, I find power through reaching inside in meditations. But I also found power, a lot of power by 
taking responsibility for myself, my actions, my thoughts, my feelings. That's that's very empowering to me when when I look at myself in, instead of pointing the fingers at others. That's that's very empowering, and to know that I have the power or I have the you know to change. And the last question is: What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Oh, I would say uh, some sort of uh, spiritual experience, right? I think that's beautiful, right? That's beautiful, and and to feel love, right? Be loved, right? It all goes together, right? And 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 to find happiness, to find joy in life. Right? Maybe not all the time, but but to have that in your life, whatever that means to you. Uh, yes, yes, yes. A trillion times to all of it. And I hear this over and over, the beloved, love and beloved. Everyone pretty much says that. That's how important it is, isn't mm. it, for all of us to mm. feel valued, accepted, respected. And I wonder if that's the same thing, Annette, being valued and respected and being loved. Do you correlate those two feelings? I'm not sure. Uh, so, so I believe, right? One, one. It's important to be careful to not depend on other people's validation as far as believing or feeling loved, right? Right. That we can, we are loved, or we can feel that love independently of other people's approval or disapproval. I think that's very important. But but absolutely, I mean, we need each other. I mean, we're human beings, we're social beings, we like, right? So 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 that's an important part of it, right? To find people who value us and we value them and we find that human connection. That's very important. Mm, yeah, that's a very good point, true, about not depending on the validation of others to feel loved. Yes. Thank you so much again for your presence oh, here today, way. for everything you do, the way you do it. I love the way you express yourself. You communicate the message. It's just beautiful. It just flows oh, like music. You. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank so much you. for being thank open to life. You. I appreciate being here. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Take good care, Annette, of yourself. Thank you. You do too. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Annette Erickson and her work, please visit AnnetteEricksonTherapy.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>